You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thanks again for downloading and listening. If you've been enjoying our show, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your shows. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. And we also invite you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Digging Oak Island. Okay, thanks everybody once again for joining me for another podcast. I think we've got a great one here for you today. I'm going to tell you all about that in just a second. Uh, but before we do that, I just wanted to let you guys know that we actually have a date now. We have an official announcement. November 2nd at 9 p.m. is the debut of the new season of The Curse of Oak Island, the ninth season of the curse of Oak Island. So uh, we have a date now. We know what's going to happen. I'm sure we're going to see some sort of Maddie Blake special or something that either comes before it or right after. So I'll do my best to keep you posted on all that. Um, and we'll try to put that kind of stuff up in Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of thing. So uh, we have, we have a date Tuesday, November 2nd. Now, Here's the plan. I have a great interview for you today. I have another great interview that we're going to put on the podcast maybe next week, and I might be working on one or two others. Not sure I'm going to be able to close the deal on these before the start of the season, so I'm not 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 going to make any promises, but what I definitely have is a bunch of emails to kind of catch up with, so we're going to have another listener's mail show, and then maybe do some sort of preview show towards the end of October, and then maybe take a week off from the podcast before we get into the show, which always means a weekly podcast, right? So that's the plan for now. Um, if you want, what I would love to do is kind of get you, the listeners, your feedback on what you're expecting this season to bring, uh, what you hope to see, where you think they should be digging and looking and all that kind of stuff and what you're excited for. So get that into me, please. Island at gmail.com. Uh, that's the best way to do it. Send me an email. Don't forget, if you send me an email, I'll probably answer it here on the air. And if you've sent me an email already this summer that I haven't read, hang on. I'm getting to them for sure. I just don't like to do it when I have these interviews. I want to kind of leave the uh, the whole podcast towards these interviews. So that's the story. We've got three or four off-season podcasts left, and then the new season begins, and we get back into our analysis of the show. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. So last year in the summer, probably the most I, – I said the most the, – the, the episodes that I got the most feedback on of any non Curse of Oak Island television show directly related podcast were on uh, two podcasts that I did about the life and times of Captain Kidd, the man whose name is probably most associated throughout the history of the Oak Island mystery as the chief suspect. Now, of course, he might not be the chief suspect anymore, but keep in mind, Captain Kidd was considered just who buried this treasure was the right one. There was no talk about Templars or Francis Bacon or or anybody else. It was all about Captain Kidd's treasure really well into the 20th century. So he is the man whose name is really most associated as the chief suspect of the Oak Island mystery. So I thought it was 
important to kind of, you know, when we're going to, if we're going to toss away Captain Kidd as not being a real suspect. So why is that? And I thought one of the great ways we can do that was to go through the life and times of this really fascinating guy and this incredibly complex life he led. So, and, and really, his life is almost reads like a drama. How this hasn't been picked up as an HBO series, I have no idea. It has the nemesis. It has the, the brash hero. It has violence. It, I mean, everything under the sun. It has weird romantic stuff. It, all sorts of craziness that goes on in this guy's life that ends with an astonishingly crazy trial. So... I did the first two. That was basically about his career at sea, how he became Captain Kidd and how he lived his life and how he, you know, what what his career at sea was like. When I got to this off season and I was totally prepared to finish this story and to finish out the life of the captain, I started reading about the end of the story. There's two seminal events left in his life from the first two podcasts. And I invite you to go back to last summer and have a listen to those. There's two events left. Basically, his return to the colonies and to Britain, and then his trial and his subsequent, spoiler alert, death. Those are two the two most important things that are left in his life. The problem is the trial, how he came to be on trial... And all of that stuff is so convoluted. It is such a bizarre trial and so crazy that as I'm researching it, I'm reading, I'm realizing to myself, I'm not putting together a podcast here. I'm basically researching the same amount one would do for a book for crying out loud. I mean, it's, there's just so much to it. Plus, I also thought, In order to wrap up this idea of discussing the life of Captain Kidd, I really wanted to bring an expert in because I'm not one, right? I'm not a historian. I'm not an author. I'm not a person who's dedicated much more time or research into his life other than to read the same kind of stuff that's available to everyone else out there. So I wanted to find an expert and bring an expert in. And that's what we have for today. Back in uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Christian Roper about his time hunting for the treasure of Jean Lafitte. Now, this is dead, is related to a Beyond Oak Island episode, the very first Beyond Oak Island episode that aired last year. In that episode is an author by the name of Rebecca Simon. When we started to research, when I started to look into Rebecca Simon as maybe being somebody we can reach out to to uh, discuss this subject of Captain Kidd or any pirate subject, really, I realized she had written a book that was just recently released called Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. This book is fantastic. For all of you who have reached out to me about Captain Kidd and wanted to know more about him and wanted to hear the end of this story, I highly recommend this book wonderfully written, very accessible reading, and just brilliant. And and you'll know exactly what I mean when you read this, how there's no way somebody who's not really an expert could have handled this subject in one short podcast. So I found Dr. Simon, reached out to her, and she generously agreed to basically be the storyteller for the end of the life of Captain William Kidd. And that is what we have for you 
today. So we're going to take a very short break here. And when we come back on the other side, you're going to hear my discussion with the author of Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever, Dr. Rebecca Simon. Okay, folks, it is time to pick up the life and times of Captain Kidd. And I'm going to give you a little full disclosure here. This part is way beyond my intellectual capacity. So I brought on an expert (laughs) who's actually done this research and can talk to us about Captain Kidd. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Simon. She is the author of a new book out at the end of last year called Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. And if you are Oak Island fanatics, you might recognize her voice. She's been on more than one Oak Island-related show. Dr. Simon, thank you so much for doing this. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So what I want to do first, before we talk about the book and some general stuff I have about Captain Kidd, is I'd like you to sort of walk us through, give us sort of a, you know, a bullet point version. The last time we left the good captain, he had tried to convince his crew to attack his old nemesis, the guy I called the Joker to his Batman, uh, Robert Cullerford and his ship. He's still on the Keita Merchant, if I'm not mistaken. And they are at Isla St. Marie, or Isla St. Marie, which is off the coast of Madagascar. It's now called Nocibaraja or something like that. It has a name that I can't remember. Sorry. <laughs> the crew basically looks at him and says, go do it yourself, if I'm not mistaken. And leave him in the harbor at Ala St. Marie with like a couple of dozen guys, a humongous boat full of stuff. Yeah. So how does he actually get out of this? (laughs) So Captain Kidd, it takes this crew essentially kind of bullet point and manages to kind of rustle up a few other people. And he decides what he needs to do next is head towards the West Indies because he's like, okay, I need, I've got all this stuff. I need to unload it. I need to sell it, get money. And then hopefully we can just kind of like sail off into the distance or go home or something like that. So he decides he's going to sail to the West Indies. The West Indies is where there's loads of trade going on. There are lots of colonists on the different plantation islands, particularly Jamaica and some of the others that actually do have some deals with pirates, even some governors, because pirates are bringing in goods that colonists might not be able to get otherwise, because In about the 1650s, Britain had passed something called the Navigation Acts, which blocked or banned all colonists from trading with any other country outside Britain. And the point of this was to economically cripple their rivals, Spain and France. So Kidd is like, this will be a good opportunity to go. So he heads down to the West Indies. And while he's there starting to kind of unload, this is when he discovers he is wanted by the British crown. He's um, wanted for piracy. And Kidd is shocked because to him, he to himself, he's like, I'm not a pirate. I followed every rule. I just made a mistake along the way. Um, because I'm sure you mentioned this in your other podcast, but as a privateer, he had been contractually, he had contractually agreed to rob specific ships in a specific area. And now suddenly he's like, I did that. I robbed the wrong ship on accident because of pressure from my crew. Yes, I killed William Moore on my ship, but that was an accident. I didn't mean to. <laughs> so he now has to go on the run. 
So what he does is he appeals to his friend and former financier, Lord Samuel Bellamont, who is governor of both New York, where Captain Kidd is generally based because he's married to a New York socialite named Sarah Ort. Um, and Lord Bellamont is also governor of Massachusetts. Now, at this point, Lord Bellamont knows that Captain Kidd is wanted for piracy. He's an ambitious man, and he does not want to have any sort of association with a pirate, despite the fact Kidd was a long friend. So he decides in order to kind of stay good with the British government, keep his governorships, perhaps get promoted in some other capacity, he sends Kidd a letter and says, come to Boston and I will help you. So Kidd, after unloading and selling most of his stuff, he goes to Boston and he is promptly arrested and he's thrown into prison for approximately two years. During this time, he writes several letters to Lord Bellamont professing his innocence and then tries to attempt to pay him off. He says, I have loads of coins and jewels and other major valuables, and I've buried them off the coast of New York on Gardner's Island. I will give it all to you if you set me free. Lord Bellamont decides, okay, let's go search. They go to Gardner's Island. <laughs> Shouldn't have told them where it was. Shouldn't have told them where it was. <laughs> they, well, the problem is they go to Gardner's Island and there's nothing buried there. Um, they don't find anything. They find a few like random right. coins here or there, but nothing's conclusive as, as to whether or not it might have been kids. So this letter in the meantime has kind of gotten picked up. It's kind of the word has gotten around. It gets printed in the media. And so people kind of start going nuts. Oh my God, this treasure. Um, they believe his wife might be withholding information. So they arrest her and her servants, thinking that they're all in on this. And so they raid the home, they ransack it, but they don't find anything. Sarah's like, I don't know anything about this. They read letters Kid had written, there's no mention of it. And finally, they have to let her and her servants go. So in the meantime, Kid is now going to languish in this Boston prison until he's going to get shipped back to London where he will stand trial, which was standard for pirates. They were always sent back to right. London to be tried with, by what's called the Admiralty Court, the High Court of Admiralty, which is in charge of all issues maritime, particularly pirates by this time. Now, let's let's jump back just a little bit and set the scene a little bit, because it's I think the part about Captain Kidd that a lot of people have to don't really know is that up until this moment where he's put in shackles, this man literally believes that he is working for the government and is uh, perfectly legal with everything he's doing. He knows he's made a couple of mistakes, but. How does he go from that to public enemy number one when he's not even there? You know what I mean? Like he's he's off. This is a this is months and months he's away. And yes. he turns to public enemy number one. And I think that kind of helps us set the stage for what's gonna happen at his trial. Yes. So in order to understand why he becomes public enemy under number one, we have to go back in time a few years to about 1695, when a British pirate named Henry Every robbed several Indian Mughal ships. The Mughals are kind of this very elite class of merchants in India. Britain is establishing their trading relationship to try to get more access going into Asia. And then Henry Every, a British pirate, goes in and he robs all these Mughal ships, destroys loads of ships, um, you know, either 
either consensually marries or kidnaps a kind of upper class woman, supposedly. That's a bit more legend. So Britain is blamed for this and India threatens to cut off all trade. Britain promises this will never, ever happen again. In the meantime, Henry, they said, you have to capture this pirate. Henry Every actually disappears from history. We have no idea what happened to him, but all of his crew are arrested. They managed to make it to colonial America, um, into New England in particular, or mid-Atlantic, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and they all are arrested. This is the best Britain can do. Well, India says, if this ever happens again, we're going to cut off all trade, and it'll be considered like an act of war, essentially. But let's, let's, let, let me just stop there. At the time, the East India Trading Company was the Bill Gates of... <laughs> Of of Europe, right? I mean, this was the yes. biggest company in the world. So that basically, the the trade with India was almost funding the British government in many yes. many ways, right? Very much so. Britain had gone into a lot of debt, throwing loads of money into establishing their colonies in the Americas, both in North America and the Caribbean. Well, the East India Company they found was super, a super lucrative way to really kind of rebuild their treasury because of all the trade they're getting. They're getting items such as tea. They're getting silk. Textiles are always kind of the number one desired items. Right, right. They're getting porcelains. They're getting all kinds of really desirable items that people in England and other parts of Europe are clamoring for because now they can get it for cheaper prices. Um, so this is really lucrative for Britain. Well, flash forward to 1698, you have Captain Kidd going and robbing the wrong ship, um, which really angers the Mughals. And so they go to Britain and they're like, you let this happen again. And we are going to cut off all trade. And Britain says, no, no, no. This time we got it. We have higher ups who know him and we have all the records of where he's supposed to be as a privateer. We are going to capture him, and we are going to execute him for his crimes of piracy. And India is like, all right, if you do this, we'll let you keep your trade. So Britain essentially establishes a second manhunt. Their first manhunt was after Henry Avery. They're unsuccessful. This time, they will not lose. They're going to go after Kidd. So Kidd is sailing unbeknownst to him that he's now become infamous. Stuff is being printed in newspapers. A lot of censorship laws have been lifted. So the newspaper industry has expanded. Uh, Colonial America in North America, they've got loads of printing presses. They brought them over with them when they colonized. So news is spreading faster than it ever has in history at this time period. By the time Kidd realizes he's a pirate or wanted as a pirate, the essential, the Atlantic world, the British Atlantic world knows his name, knows his name. And wow. this is all unbeknownst to him. So this is all happening behind the scenes. So that way Britain can keep its trading relationships and really expand its East India company over in the Indian Ocean going into Asia. That I mean, so so he gets arrested. He's in he's now public enemy number one. <laughs> Right. Before he ever comes back home, he's in a jail in Belmont or, or he's in a jail in New York or Massachusetts. I, Boston. 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 <laughs> See, this is why I needed you. Uh, <laughs> he gets sent to London to stand trial in what is really one of the most. I mean, how this hasn't turned into a miniseries on HBO yet, I have no idea. Just the trial alone, <laughs> because it is absolutely fascinating. We're talking about. Uh, people uh, higher ups in the government who were uh, maybe weren't we secretly involved in funding him to begin with and uh, all this sort of stuff. I mean, set us the picture before of what's going on in England as kid comes over before we actually put this poor man on trial. (laughs) 
So England is essentially preparing for his arrival, and they're going to be doing kind of the standard plan of what they do with all um, pirates. They're, he's going to be in jail, possibly most likely Newgate prison, and then he's going to sit trial with the High Court of Admiralty. Um, and trials were public events. People were allowed to come and witness them. Trials are transcribed. But what happens on the way is actually a mystery. This is one of the things we don't quite know, because... Kid comes saying, I have all these documents to prove my innocence. He has a letter of Mark. He has a letter of Mark. He does. He has a letter of Mark. He's got character witnesses. But for some reason, this letter of Mark is lost. They can't or they can't produce it is what's happening. And they're saying you didn't contact your character witnesses in time. We can't bring them. So we don't know why this has happened. We don't know what's going on. The letter of Mark does exist. It's in the National Archives in Kew (laughs) in Western London, um, in West London. So it does exist, but we don't know where it was. We don't know why it was hidden. And that this trial was essentially going to be a show trial. This is kind of standard for pirates in general. When someone is accused of piracy, they're pretty much assumed guilty. The trial is for show because it's a legal requirement. They're most likely, like 90% of the time, they're going to be found guilty and they're going to hang at a place called Execution Dock in East London on the bank of the Thames, the river that flows through central London. Mm -hmm. But these are normally, these are people who have made their reputation as pirates. It's a little dicier here with Kid because Kid's reputation precedes the piracy. Right. I mean, he is known for. I guess I would, you know, other sort of war related things. Right. So he comes to this kind of, uh, you know, very different from piracy. Plus, as you said, he's right. got, he's got character witnesses, he's got letter mark, and this all kind of goes away. Now there's a lot of conspiracies around how that might've happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of conspiracies about how that might've happened, but um, it's just so convoluted. And, Here's what's interesting is that, you know, you have this, a lot of his former crew turned against him, but they get arrested and they're actually on trial with kid. Wow. Cause like Robert Colliford is on trial with kid and he will get executed alongside him along with several other members of the crew. So there, that means they're also being accused of it as well. Um, so this kind of turns into just like a really big a really big thing. One of the reasons why the trial is so long is because in every trial, it's including the transcripts of each and other individual person that's on the stand, including right. his other, the other people. But kid is the main event here now. Okay. So, so kid, uh, defends himself, correct? He sort of testifies mm-hmm. on his own behalf Correct. Correct. that he has this letter of Mark and mm-hmm. he admits to his mistake in attacking, um, the, the mogul ship. I think he attacked a Dutch. Was it a Dutch East India yeah. <clears throat> ship? He had attacked. Um, God, I'm actually kind of looking through my book here, not to be tacky. <laughs> we'll get to so that. Many it's, there's so many details. He basically, what he had done is he attacked an Armenian ship. That's that what it was. Yeah. Was meant to be sailed by the Dutch, but it had a very multinational crew, which he did not know. And one may of the have, captains may have produced like a French was, may have somebody yeah, produced a French have, passport and that kind of stuff. Yeah. They had yeah. a French flag 
which really um, indicates that they're meant to be, they're under jurisdiction by the French, but it's a British captain who's captaining the ship. So it is a whole mess of what's going on here. But the best you can say is it seems kind of like it was not a normal pirate situation. Like, no, it's not normal. It's not because um, the definition of piracy at the, um, since the time of Henry VIII has been it's someone who murders and robs on the high seas. That's essentially what it is. And essentially what Captain Kidd had done is he robs this ship partly under pressure from his crew because they hadn't had very many successes. And some of them are starting to mutter about mutiny. Like, you know, he shouldn't be our captain anymore. He's not doing a good job. Right. Um, this happens on privateering ships because they're there knowing that they can get money because a privateer essentially gets to keep about 80% of all the loot that they're able to get from the ship as kind of their payment. The other 20% is going to go to the British government. So they're going to, so many can get quite wealthy doing this here. So they're under a lot of pressure here. He gets in a fight with one of his crewmen, uh, William Moore. And, um, because William Moore had spotted a Dutch ship in the distance, he's like, we got to rob it. Kids like, no. Um, and this is all according to the trial transcript. Okay. They all admitted to this, right? They admit to this, but most of this is coming from captain kid. So we have to take it a tiny bit with a grain of salt. Okay. Okay. That's the thing. So, um, they, so they're under kind of a lot of pressure. William Moore, according to Kidd, was trying to pressure him to rob the wrong ship, to break my letter of mark. And we got into a fight and Kidd hits him with a bucket and this, um, William Moore dies the next day of a, of a tra- head traumatic brain injury. Um, the surgeon is suspicious that Kidd had done this on purpose, but Kidd is like, no, nah, this, I didn't even hit him. This was something different. Um, so this was a whole thing. So the, when, so the big thing happens is they finally come across a ship called the Queda merchant. So kid, so I'm just going to read a little portion of my book here, if that's okay. Great. Um, so finally good fortune fell upon kid or perhaps it was his doom coming to punish him for murder on january 30th 1698 two years after they began their voyage they came upon an indian ship called the queda merchant kid ordered his men to raise their french flag to hail the ship because they're kind of under jurisdiction of both britain and france once close enough to board they attacked with gusto armenian merchants besieged kid's ship but how could kids men be afraid knowing the ship was laden, knowing a ship laden with spices, silk, satins, muslins, gold and silver was just within reach. Everyone on the adventure galley rejoiced and fought with joy, drunk on their good fortune. At last, they captured the captain. The ship was theirs. The ecstasy was short lived. When Kid went to speak to the captain, he came upon a dreadful shock. The captain was neither Indian, Armenian or French. He was an Englishman named Wright. As captain, he had been sailing under French permission under the protection of the French crown on an Armenian-built ship. What a nightmare. Though Kidd was commissioned to attack French ships, rendering this a legitimate capture, Kidd was stunned. He had attacked an Englishman. Now, many instances and many times in his career during this, before he ends up on trial, he actually stood between... (laughs) 
the, his crew and piracy, essentially. His crew right. wanted to do things, and it was sort of this man's force of nature that where he where he stood oftentimes alone telling them no we're not doing this this is not happening right. correct and this happens right here this happens right, right here and now like kid is like we have to return this ship because um to its rightful captain and the men are like no this is a french ship we've captured it and this is ours and he's saying it's captured by an englishman and we can't steal from an englishman and the men are basically like no we were ordered to take French ships. Like, it doesn't matter who the captain is. And finally, Kidd, who knew that he was um, kind of going to be, he, he's risking mutiny, finally agrees. Like, okay, we're going to take the ship. So he's found guilty despite of all this. Correct. Correct. Even though, according to Kidd, now this is what Kidd is saying. He's saying, I didn't want to do this. I was pressured to do it by my right. crew. His crew. When people come to testify at the trial, they say, no, this was his idea. And kids like, no, that's a lie. It's a whole drama. Do you think uh, so? Are you, you're implying that kid was going to be found guilty regardless of what happened in the trial, right? Yes, he absolutely was. Because Britain, no matter what, no matter what the truth was, um, Britain had to make an example of him to prove to the, to the Indian Mughals that they were going to protect the Indian Mughals trade and never allow this to happen again. So Britain essentially kind of needed to execute kid to really kind of keep this reputation so they wouldn't lose the East India company. So tell me, um, just to kind of give you a couple of off the, off the top of my head questions. Um, what made you write a book about kid? What made you so, so interested in him? And I want to see if it's the same answer I would have. <laughs> so this kind of so this kind of started when I was doing my doctorate. Um, so we have to go back in time several years now. So when I was doing my doctorate, I knew I was doing piracy. Perceptions of piracy is what I wanted to do. I'd kind of done it a bit with my master's degree. And my supervisor said, that's a very large topic, and that's something for later. What we need to do is narrow it down to something smaller. So I kind of went back to the drawing board. It took me a few months to really settle on it. And I decided, let's just go back to a general pirate who I've read about. Let's read about Captain Kidd. Because I'd read a book about him when I was doing my master's. I did an independent study with a professor on pirate historiography. And the book Captain Kidd and the War Against the Pirates by Robert C. Ritchie is a brilliant book about Captain Kidd written in 1986. And it kind of shows how Captain Kidd did have a massive effect on laws against piracy. So I always really enjoyed that book. And so I was like, let's go back to it. I'm just going to read it. And I, in the book, I read that Captain Kidd was taken to execution dock, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, to be executed. I found that kind of curious because I knew that when people were executed for their crimes, like highwaymen, they were often taken to the Tyburn Tree in West London, which, if any of you are familiar with London geography, that's just outside of Marble Arch Tube Station on the corner of Hyde Park. Little plaque on the ground. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, why didn't they take him to Tyburn? That, that was, it was, you know, the Tyburn tree was where people were executed. And so I was like, I want to find a book that talks about like why pirates or an article that talks about why pirates were executed over there. And nothing was written. So that became my subject was about public executions of pirates. Captain Kidd was kind of my start to get into that. So flash forward, um, a publishing company, independent commissioning editor contacted me saying, I've read your work and I would love you to write us a book about pirates, just who they are. And I was like, okay, sure. So I kind of started going back to it and I was going back to my research. Um, I was taking a lot of it from my doctorate and I kind of realized 
the reason why, or my argument kind of came that the reason why perceptions of piracy changed and how we think about pirates really comes from this massive show trial and manhunt for, um, for Captain Kidd. And so he became, with every book, you need to have kind of like an overarching narrative, no matter mm-hmm. what it was. And he became my framing device to kind of show just how everything changed after his trial and execution, especially um, in the mid-1710s um, when what we call the golden age of piracy really hits its peak. So this is why I kind of got into Captain Kidd as my big framing device, because I'm like, he is essentially like a big cause, or at least um, a lot of the big changes happen because of his trial, because of his execution. And is that due to the fact that he was a unique figure in the pirate? I mean, we w- when you ask somebody name a pirate, you know, you get Blackbeard and all you know, and all these other famous pirates, and you usually get Captain Kidd's name thrown in there, and he's very different. His life story, yeah. his his whole everything about him is very, very different from them. But yet it seems as though he became as popular and as well-known at that time as a pirate as anyone else yes. in his time, so right? He was, he was very much painted as a pirate, you know, with newspaper articles. They would publish trials. They would publish summaries of trials. But after Captain Kidd, they decided, let's publish his trial verbatim, the actual transcript. And this was the first time they published a full transcript of a trial rather than summaries. Um, and it sold out within a day. Wow. The next day, they had to reprint loads of copies. And it became like a massive bestseller, essentially. Um, people were clamoring to read it. And the, you know, literacy has gone up massively at this time. I think about half of all men were literate. And those who weren't could go to the nearest pub or tavern or a street corner. Someone's going to be right. reading aloud from the latest big hit. So this is what was going on. People were reading the trial. It's very dramatic. And also, it's a pirate. People are fascinated by pirates because these are people who are sailing in exotic locations. And they have no connection to pirates really. Like, you know, if someone is being executed for murder or robbery as a highwayman, people probably had some sort of actual direct connection. It was more personal, but a pirate's very different, more of a subject of fascination. So it became a big bestseller. And this is kind of how Captain Kidd became infamous as a pirate. So, um, and as a result, he, not only was he infamous to the people, he becomes infamous to other sailors. Sailors are very into news about other sailors And there's even references of a pirate who was in battle and attacked. And, you know, he's saying, I will never give quarter, meaning I will never surrender. I will never give mercy. I will not go to the way of Bradish and Kidd. Bradish was a member of Kidd's crew. um, And what they're meaning is we're not going to hang like Kidd did. Um, So he's become, he became legend even amongst pirates. Um, But Kidd is really interesting because historians are debating all the time. Was he a pirate? Was he not a pirate? Most historians, more historians than not, are more on the pirate side of it. Really? Because he technically, yeah, because he technically did break the rules of his contract. He attacked the wrong, he, um, you know, wouldn't give the ship back. He attacked, he attacked um, the wrong ship. Right, or right, captured right, right. With an, helmed by an Englishman, um, which breaks the clause of his contract, his letter of mark. And that alone is going to convict him as piracy. So that's a big thing. And then there are a few who are like, no, it's a lot more complicated than that. And that's kind of where I fall. I'm like, it is complicated. And, you know, we do go the legal definition, which is breaking the letter of mark, which would make someone legally a pirate. But did he actually intend to do so? That's a bit more convoluted. But we also have to take into account 
that this information comes from his trial and from his own testimony. Right. And of course, he's going to want to be proven right, 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 right. in every way possible. It so. seems to me, I mean, I guess the question I would have at that point is, it seems to me there had to have been many privateers who either stepped over the line accidentally or stepped maybe even not so accidentally and probably got away with it. Probably. And we just don't know we're, how Right. And we just yeah, told, we just no, that's okay. Exactly. We understand you did this wrong or whatever it is. And there's nobody talking about that one. But yet kids made yeah. an example. So you said there's a difference in the way people viewed piracy from before and after without giving away too much of the book. What what is kind of what what effect did kid have? What effect did his life have on the view of piracy? Well, the big thing is is that after kid after kid's trial, they began publishing trial transcripts of pretty much every other pirate that was put on trial in England. So they all became kind of you know lucrative items to be able to publish, and so as a result, people became you know began to have more knowledge about pirates, and there became to be more of an interest about pirates because. Back in the 18th century, 17th, 18th centuries, your social status was defined from birth and you'll probably, and there was no way to climb the social ladder. If you were born poor, you would stay poor. Your father and grandfather was poor. Your children and grandchildren are going to be poor. That's just kind of how it was. But pirates kind of transcended this a lot of times because pirate ships were made up and all ships actually are made up of many different classes. You know, the upper classes of people are the captains, lieutenants, the quartermasters, the lower class people are the general sailors and doing other jobs on the ship. But here are pirates all becoming wealthy because pirates distributed goods pretty equally on the ships, mm-hmm. which is very unusual based on others. And so they here they're watching people who had, were poor, essentially, becoming wealthy and having a lot of money to spend, which is very unusual. And so people are quite fascinated by that. And after this, Britain also declares a big war on piracy because they're like, we have to get rid of pirates. Um, they're getting too out of control. They're hurting our reputation. They're hurting right. our trade. So they began really conducting lots of these big show trials that were intended to, or and tr- show trials and big like public executions that were also right. kind of a theater in it in its own way. And the whole point was to deter people from going against, from you know, sympathizing with pirates. It actually kind of did the opposite. Um, you know, people didn't like pirates. They're like all oh, the criminals, but they were fascinating at the same time because again, people don't have a connection to these pirates. But everything's going to change again in 1724 when this guy, Captain Charles Johnson, sorry, um, (laughs) I'm holding up a copy of my book, you guys can't see, but uh, General History of the Pirates. This was published in 1724, and it's a collection of pirate biographies. And Captain Kidd has a chapter in here, of course. And this book was a bestseller. It's never gone out of print. You can buy a copy on Amazon. Um, So... And a lot of it's kind of fictionalized. This is also where I got a lot of details. But stuff about the first half of the book, which was it was published in two volumes. Volume one includes Captain Kidd. That's actually quite accurate. So the accounts with Captain Kidd, because of the pirate trial and everything like that, the author was able to put together really good biographies. The second half, when we start getting to like Anne Bonny and Mary Read, that's where it starts getting very fictionalized. But um, for bestseller purposes. But but yeah, Kid is one of the big subjects. And um, but what's interesting, he's actually not even listed on um, the advertising. Sorry, I'm holding up the book again. But like the advertising <laughs> cover page, he's yep. not even listed amongst those pirates. Um, so that's also quite interesting, considering he had such a successful show trial. So, so what you're saying is Captain Kid became kind of a rock star and made a lot of other people want to be rock stars. 
kind of, kind of. I think he, um, I don't, I don't know if he necessarily, I think he, I think instead of actually inspiring people to become or pirates to become these other rock stars, he actually was a bit of a warning. Like we have to real, you know, it's a warning for pirates against the British government. This is what the British government's going to do. Gotcha. So what it does, it kind of creates a, a lot of pirates we know who came in the 1700s had a much tighter network, but this is also because a lot of pirates from like 1713 onward were veterans from the Spanish American war, the war of Spanish succession. I'm sorry, the war of Spanish succession, right. many of whom had fought as privateers when the war is over, they're out of work and they became more organized bands of pirates. Um, but kid kind of served as a warning of what, of like what could happen and what the British government's going to do. Okay. I got a couple of Oak Island questions for you, but I, I got one or two from what you're talking here that I have very quickly. Um, sure. What, Captain Kidd seems like, I mean, in my mind, we're talking about was he a pirate or not. He sounds like he was probably a privateer, an egomaniac of unbelievable proportions, a very confident man, it sounds like, and a very um, bra- brash kind of personality uh-huh. yes. in your in your yes. um dis- in your uh research mm-hmm. what do you think captain kid was like i mean captain did i have kid, that I right <laughs> yeah i think it's pretty accurate i think captain kid was pretty brash because well even before this whole business with the quaid merchant Captain Kidd had been a privateer for several years, and there are actually reports in the calendar of state papers who are complaining about Kidd because he's constantly towing the line of privateering and piracy. Ah, they don't like how he's operating. They're like, he's successful, but he's such a pain. Like, <sighs> it literally, they're complaining. At one point, they, I think the words even are, like, this pain Captain Kidd. Um, <laughs> they, so he's already known like for being sort of a controversial figure or just kind of, you know, think of like those cop shows where you have the person who's like really yeah. smart, but is like breaking all the rules to do it, but he solves everything. Right. So they right, can't right, really right. get in trouble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, Captain Kidd is kind of similar up until this instance, um, in 1698 from, from like 1695. He's he, actually since the 1680s, he was a privateer. Um, he was known for really towing this line. Do you think he was a patriot? Do you think he was a patriotic Brit? Brit, you know, because he he throws that a lot. He he. There's a lot of times where you hear him almost because he made this deal to hunt the pirates and to hunt the French, and he made and it wasn't a yeah. very good deal for privateers. Like other privateers made more money than he did. He was willing yeah. to put his neck out there. I mean, was he doing it just for his own reputation, or did he really have sort of his zeal of some kind? Well, I, I don't know exactly his thoughts, but I can give you my educated guess on it. Right. My educated guess is that I think his loyalty was on a pretty thin margin. I think he was doing it because it was steady work. And he had a lot, privateers have a lot of control over what they can do. And he liked that. He liked having control. He liked being able to do what he could do. Something, I don't know if you guys talked about this before on your podcast, but something also to remember, Kid was Scottish, not English. Right. And Scotland and England have never had a good relationship, right? especially up to this point. Okay. So that probably made his relationship with England a bit more tenuous. Um, so I think he's only going to be holding so much loyalty, like England is employing him. So he has to keep that in mind, but he, most privateers are in it for themselves. 
because they like a lot of privateers, regardless of where they're from, they'll sign a contract with another country if they know that they're, they can get money from it. So, you know, and, and kid, I think kid always only would be a privateer for the English. He never was a privateer for anyone else. So he may have had some loyalty, no matter what, this is kind of my home Island. Britain is my home. Um, and Britain includes Scotland and Wales, not just, you know, it's not just England, just clear that up. Um, so, you know, he has loyalty to Britain cause he is from there. But I think in terms of like the British government itself, eh, I think it was, you know, he was making money and he had steady work and, you know, right. he had some independence on there. Cause he passed up a few opportunities to just sort of shove off the British and go be a pirate and make a lot of money. I mean, he could have, yeah, I mean, he could have yeah. turned it and he chose not to. Yeah, he could have turned and he could have retired from the business altogether. He married a very right. wealthy, wealthy socialite. Exactly. But one of the reasons why he married her was to up his own social status. Right. Um, so he, he marries her when he's already a very successful privateer. And being a privateer was a pretty respectable position because you're working for directly for the government and you're making money. So um, he was already quite successful when he married her. But this kind of allowed him to become friends with Lord Bellamont and gain his own kind of better reputation. So he could climb these ranks a little bit further. So why did they execute them on the dock? <laughs> you said you wanted um, to study why they went to the dock. We never got that answer. Why did they execute oh, them okay. on the dock? <laughs> so well, the very simple, simple answer Um is they execute pirates at execution dock because it symbolizes the scene of the crime. Um, the crime takes place on the water, and execution dock sits on the bank of the Thames, the river that flows through central London. Every single crime that is maritime-based is under jurisdiction of the High Court of Admiralty, which is separate from the other main courts of England. Right. And that meant they have jurisdiction over any any ocean, sea, river, lake, stream. And so not only did this symbolize the place of the crime where his crimes took place, um, I just said that twice. Um, <laughs> it also symbolizes, you know, the Admiralty's jurisdiction as well. So all pirates in, in London were executed at execution dock. And in general, all pirates, when they, if they were executed elsewhere, it was always on a coast, a coastline of some sort. Okay, Oak Island questions for you. The first, sure. the first one, uh, he died in 1701, 1702? Yes. Okay. I, was 17, I think May 23rd, 1701 is what I want to say. From the time the Oak Island mystery began in 1795 up until probably the end of the 1800s, mm-hmm. people were convinced that they were looking, and every report, every newspaper report says sure. this, for Captain Kidd's treasure. Uh-huh. Why would they think that? Well, again, it has to do with the letter that he wrote to Lord Bellamont saying, I've buried all these, you know, coins and jewels and all this valuable stuff on Gardner's Island off the coast of New York. And this letter somehow became public knowledge. I think part of it was published in a newspaper and that just kind of took off. And so a lot of people were like, you know, over time, kind of off and on, were like, let's try to find his treasure or people claiming that they found his treasure or claiming that they found a map of where he had buried this treasure. Um, but none of it ended up being true or at the very least they never found anything. So, but that's why like rumors of this idea that he had buried treasure somewhere started in the 1700s. Like you said, not long after he died actually. And they've continued up to this day as recently as 2015, there was someone who claimed that we found know, yeah. silver ingots off the coast of Madagascar with his seal stamped on it. And I was like, he has no seal. <laughs> like I was in the middle of my PhD oh, no. at the time. 
Like I was smack dab in the middle of my PhD. And I was like, you know, Captain Kidd was somewhat got me started. And I was like, nah, fake. And it turned out to be a hoax to increase tourism. But right. Or I think, I don't know if the government, I don't want to blame Madagascar, the government itself, but supposedly, supposedly, um, part of the idea was to help increase tourism. So he was a, famous man for many, many decades after his death. Yes. I mean, this was a guy yes. who people knew his name. He was on there. Okay. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. He was hung on a gibbet for up to 20 years. Um, t- body was tarred to kind of serve as a warning wow. anywhere between three years and 20 years when tradition was usually string him up for about three, three tides to wash over the body. But he got special treatment. Dr. Simon, um, did Captain Kidd bury his treasure on Oak Island? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He, did he, any he did pirate not. bury a treasure on Oak Island? <laughs> it is my personal belief that pirates never buried treasure because they had no reason to. Most pirates sailed pretty close to the coastlines or plantation islands because that's where a lot of the main shipping lanes were headed to. That's where there was lots of traffic for them to capture ships and they would, and they, they could go on land pretty quickly to sell off their goods, get money, and then spend it all on taverns, spend it all on women or go home and retire early. Pirates had no reason to bury treasure because there was no reality. No, there was very slim likelihood that they would be able to go back and retrieve it later because they were always being chased on the sea by <clears throat> pirate hunters, excuse me, pirate hunters, um, members of the Admiralty, and then on land as well, people are also trying to keep an eye out for them. Um, so it is my personal belief, and I know I'm not alone in this, that pirates never buried treasure because there was no reason for them to, and it was just too risky to do so. The book is called Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. Uh, where where can we get this? Where can we learn more about this? Anywhere, Amazon, Ev- all that stuff? Everywhere. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. Um, it's available for on you know for ebook, paperback, and also on Audible as an uh, audiobook. So it's available in all formats, and you can find more information about it you know, on any of those websites. Also, I've, you can find me on Goodreads where there's more information about it. And you can find out more on my website, which is Rebecca-Simon.com. And you can also, you know, sometimes I tweet about it on Twitter. I use Twitter. Um, awesome. And my handle on there is Beckalex, B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X, one word. Or you can just search Dr. Rebecca Simon on Twitter and you'll find me. No subject that I've dealt with on this podcast for the couple of years I've been doing this that outside of the the show has had more response from my listeners than the subject of this man, Captain Kidd. So here is the book you guys have all been asking me for. <laughs> Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. Thank you so much. I didn't miss anything here, did I? I got it all. I think so. Yeah. Great. I think we covered like a huge amount and without spoiling the rest of the book. Yes. So I hope people buy it. I hope people enjoy it. And look out for you. Look out for you. Maybe perhaps in the future on uh, the history channel. I hear. Yeah. I'm going to be on the, yeah. So I was on an episode of Oak Island and I was also on the, I think the episode, 
I was on an episode of the first in the first season of Beyond Oak Island, you were on the and pilot. you will see. Yep. Me. I was on the pilot, and you yep. will see me in season two of Beyond Oak Island. Awesome. You can also see me on the Netflix docu series The Lost Pirate Kingdom. So there you go, the conclusion of the story of Captain William Kidd. I hope you enjoyed that. My sincerest and heartfelt thanks to Dr. Rebecca Simon, who has written a fantastic book about our subject here, Captain Kidd. Uh, again, the book is Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd, and How He Changed Pirates. You can get it anywhere. You can get it on Amazon, all those places. Uh, I got it about a week or so after I did this interview because I did not know the book existed until I started researching into her. And boy, it is a great read. If you're really into piracy, you're into the life of Captain Kidd and want to know more about him and his place really in the world, in the history of the world, in the history of the piracy, this is a great book for you. No, no doubt about that. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Got some shameless plugs for you. Do another podcast called Sit Downs and Sessions. Me and my friend and a radio host for years and years is uh, uh, Chris Poe. Sit down over a, a drink or two. We talk mostly about pubs now. We talk a little bit about music. Uh, we did a little politics. We talk about the paranormal again every once in a while. It's basically just me and my oldest of friends sitting at a bar chatting about things two old-time djs and two observers of the world give it a listen you can find sit downs and sessions on apple podcasts or wherever you get your shows also i'm back on the air as a dj <laughs> it's amazing to me every wednesday afternoon from 2 p.m to 4 p.m you could find me hosting a show on wdvr fm called the bourbon street bistro where i play the music of new orleans and then from 4 p.m to 5 p.m just after that i'm doing a brand new show debuting in october here called island vibes going to be an hour of sort of tropical music a little reggae a little trap rock all that kind of stuff so tune in if you're sitting around your computer or you're in the new jersey area uh you could tune in on Alexa as well, just go or anywhere on the internet, just go to WDVRFM.org or you can go on the radio if you're in the area, 89.7 FM. Also, if you're enjoying the Dig in Oak Island podcast, I ask you please give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Uh, and thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's done that so far. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do that. Most importantly, I appreciate the kind words. Don't forget, come and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us at Diggin' Oak Island. Just put that in your search bar and you'll get us there. And uh, again, if you have any comments or questions that you want to ask directly to me, you can do so via email, Island at gmail.com. Get them in now for sort of our preview. If you've got anything you want to get off your chest or any ideas before the start of uh, the Season 9, do so now and we'll put together another sort of listener-related or listener-focused show here right before the start of the new season in the first week of November. Uh, also, don't forget, if you're going to email me, I may answer that email directly on this show. So if you don't hear back from me via email, don't worry. Just listen to the next podcast. But if for some reason you don't want me to answer it on the show, you'd rather just be between us, then just make a, make a note of that if you can on there. And I'll do my best to get back to you as quick as I can. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for listening to the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. <laughs>